there, you're welcome to the third episode in season two of Colavari Creativity Series. This is a podcast that is focused on exploring the world of creativity and innovation. My name is Zika and I moderate this podcast. Um, like I mentioned, this is the third episode. If you haven't listened to the previous episodes, please do well to listen to them and this is the second season we had a very successful first season and we're hoping that by the end of this year we would have had a lot of people learn more about creativity and innovation so we had an interview with paul axtell and um we'll be playing out except from the interview while aziz and i as usual you know talk about some things from it so this will be a two-part um, episode and the first part will be focused on designing conversations that allow creativity to thrive while the second part will be focused on being remarkable so before um aziz says hi to us let me just give a quick summary of the second episode um i remember we had an interview with Tun- tunji andrews yes of our bar and um, we talked about how we fall in love with our ideas instead of focusing on how to offer value or solve a problem but if you really want to know more about that you can listen to the full episode it's available on google podcast deezer stitcher apple podcast and you can also follow colavari creativity series on all your social media platforms so on instagram and linkedin it's at colavari solutions and on youtube it's colavari creativity series so hi aziz how are you doing Zika? i'm doing very well Good to be back. Yes. Um, <laughs> by the way, the episode two was also a two-part series. Yes, it was a two-part series. Very interesting discussion with uh, Tunji Andrews. Yeah. Um, one question that I often get asked a lot is, how do I determine the people who we interview? Um, I think people we, people we find interesting, um, we believe can add value to our listeners. They are the ones that we usually interview on our podcast. Um, for Paul Axtell, um, it was a two-year follow-up before we were able to interview him. <laughs> two-year follow-up, you know. But, I mean, I felt that he had a lot to offer our listeners and that was why um, we kept on following up with him. This particular episode, I think for me, was inspired by a listener of ours in the US who wanted to know how she could just get better ideas from her team members. So I think it really uh, shaped how the interview panned out. Um, so the interview initially focused on designing conversations that work for creativity. But the discussion was such that um, there were so many other things we could get from, from listening to Paul. And that was why we agreed to have a second part, which focused on the concept of excellence Paul refers to as being remarkable. So that's why we have a part A and a part B. So before we hear from Paul, I'll just give a bit of a background about him. So Paul Axtell provides consulting and personal effectiveness training to a very wide variety of clients from Fortune 500 companies to universities. And he has written several award-winning books like The Eight Powerful Strategies for Remarkable Conversations. So I think we should hear from Paul himself. Um started a training company and I think the essence of my training company is that conversation is really all you have and most people aren't treating conversation thoughtfully deliberately they're not listening they're not paying attention 
In fact, if people take that notion that conversation is what matters, your first blush is you'll be disappointed in the quality of the conversations around you. And clearly, if you follow political news, the quality of the conversation is not very good. And particularly lately, it's taken a turn for more rude, more negative. Um, so that's kind of who I am. I would say another way to answer the question, what's your story? If you think about the shyest, most introverted, most worried, most scared person you could think of, that would have been me. So basically my interest in the ideas I do got started with working on myself. So two things I would like to mention listening to Paul. The first one is Paul teaches what he has implemented on himself first. And you will hear that throughout the um, discussion. Secondly, this was one of the nicest interviews I've had. I mean, Paul exudes warmness and he comes across very relational. At the end of the interview, um, he called his wife and, she, and, and, and he introduced the wife to me. I mean, it was just, it was just a lovely... It was just a lovely interview and I really enjoyed myself. We always ask our guests what they think creativity is from their point of view. So here's what Paul had to say from his own point of view. So I'm very interested in insights. That is the moment you and I, wow, I hadn't noticed that before. Um, so the first thing is insights disappear quickly. Five minutes. Unless you've got time throughout the day to reflect or to capture your insights. So that's one first thing is you and I have insights all the time about life, about people we live with, about ourselves, about what we're learning. But those insights disappear really fast. So it's hard to be creative and innovative unless you have some way of capturing your insights, your own thinking. The other essence of creativity for me, so this would be the second one, is I've never created anything except if somebody asked me to do something. So, it's, or traditionally you said that, you know, uh, necessity is the motherhood of invention. So if there's not a request, if there's not a demand, if there's not a milestone, there's no need to be creative. Uh, so to be creative, you have to be working into some kind of request or deadline. The other thing for me is the most powerful is something called connection. And a connection is when you and I make a connection between two different ideas. Now, it's like, how do you get different ideas to occur close enough to each other that you might make a connection between them? So I'll give you a summary of the three things Paul talked about regarding creativity. One, learn to capture your insights, else they will disappear. Two, constraints enhance creativity. And three, learn to connect two different ideas. It helps in fostering creativity. Now, one of the things I really liked about um, the interview with, with Paul is that Paul focuses on process skills. And remember, we talked about the mystery around creativity. When you understand some of the process skills, 
Paul talks about, I realize that it helps to demystify some of the mysteries around creativity. So let's use a, as an example. He talked about learning to capture your inside, else they disappear quickly. So let's assume me and you, Zika, we have insight on an issue. Okay. But you are able to capture your insight and I'm not able to capture my insight. At the end of the day, it seems as if by some magical power endowed on you, you are more creative than I, than yeah. I am. Yeah. The only reason that is the case is because you have learned to capture your insights. While I have not. So maybe you spend two times every day to sit and reflect on some of your insights and you document those insights and you spend further time, you know, down the week or down the month and at the, at the end of the day, it seems as if you are more creative than I am. Not because some, some mystery being endowed you with more creativity. No, you had a process for capturing your thoughts and turning those thoughts into insight and those insights into ideas that could be further developed. That's why you see them as if you are more creative. Simply process skills. Nothing to do with talent or endowment, just process skills. And that's why, like we said in season one, in the beginning, everybody actually has the ability to be creative yeah. because it's not magical. If you just follow that process, you probably would, yeah, be able to come up with something. We want to listen to how Paul got very interested and um, started with regards to designing conversations that really work. The idea about managing conversations. So the very first, so I was trying to break out of shyness and I had a boss who told me, if you don't start speaking, I'm going to fire you. And he says, well, I'm going to help you with that. I'm going to make you start teaching some training program. I'm going to break this. And I started teaching something called problem solving and decision making. It was a four day live in course. And one of the things I learned in there and saw in that is any conversation can be had with the right setup and the right facilitation. No matter how difficult the conversation, it, if you do the setup right and you manage the process. So, for instance, I've managed a conversation with 17 literacy groups who could not agree to form a coalition and work together. And we got that done in four hours. I ran a meeting where 300 parents wanted to fire an elementary school principal. And we had the meeting with the school superintendent and the principal and 300 angry parents. And we worked through it. Why? Because we made sure there was a process. We knew what the ground rules were. And we one person managing the conversation very deliberately. So that's my, I have experience that says you can get through any conversation. Wow. It's just so much. Um, I'll, but I'll say something briefly, then Zika, you can also comment. Um, so I'll talk briefly on about how he started, and it was about his boss. You know, it's easy for us to criticize. It's easy for us to point out mistakes or errors to other people. But I think the beautiful thing uh, his boss did was to also create a way for him to improve. And I think that is uh, something that I think we all should learn more. Zika, what about you? I I feel like, especially hearing his background, saying he was a very shy person, if his, all his boss did was criticize him, I think it would even further push him 
into his shell yeah. and he won't be able to even you know achieve what the boss intended for the criticism yeah and i also think beyond them um, the workplace this is also very applicable in homes in relationships as well because um deliberate conversations and you know that process skill helps us be able to achieve something at the end of the day yeah you're right yeah yeah okay so um paul talks about designing conversations that allows for the flourishing of ideas so please let us listen attentively to this part well we need to be clear going in who has decision rights about what we create who has the final say about what we do and even if a boss says well this is going to be a group decision that's never so the person with the most power in the organization always has veto power but i always want to know where is the person who asked to generate this idea thing i want to know where they are before we start if they already have an idea about what they think should be done there's no way they'll be open And if you think about it, let's say that you have an idea for you've got a school and you're a principal and you want to change the way this elementary school works. If you just read something or saw something on the internet or TV last night about people are changing their schools, you could open to the group and you'd be pretty open because you haven't thought about it, right? You just got the idea last night. But let's say for five years, you've been a teacher in other schools and you've been thinking about if I had my chance to have my own school, here's what I would change. Well, you've got four years committed to your thinking. For you to walk in and say, what ideas have you got about changing the school makes no sense because you are embedded in the thinking you've had for four years. So I always want to know where the top person is when we begin. So the short answer, there needs to be a protocol for how the conversation is going to flow in such a way that creativity. And so there's another piece that I got from, you. Probably, I'm not sure if they're there anymore. It's called Synectics, which is a creative group in Boston. This is like 25 years ago, Synectics, like, S-Y-N-N-E-C. But anyway, they have something called an itemized response, which is, let's say, Aziz, you present an idea, and I don't think it'll work, but I'm only allowed to respond with an itemized response, which is, first I have to tell you three things that I think in terms of value about your idea. Well, if you think about it, all of a sudden, I've got to be looking for value. It changes my tone of voice. It slows me down. And then if I have a concern, I must express it in problem-solving language. So rather than saying, that'll never work, I'm going to say, well, I see, I see that your idea would do this. And wow, I kind of like that part of it. And even if we did that, perhaps it would make this possible. 
And I'm wondering, where would you get the money to do this? Versus saying, we can't afford that or whatever. I'm just wondering, how do we manage the budget? So the basic point being, people need to be trained to either not disagree or if they must disagree, do it in a way that enhances the experience of the person whose idea is your pushing back on. Yeah, as soon as you've got the idea, that would be the time to get people engaged. Um, but there's always an answer to the question, where are you with respect to this idea personally right now? And if I know that, so for instance, sometimes somebody might say, what? I pretty much have decided what we w- want to do here. And yes, you can come after me about that idea. But notice I thought long and hard about this and I'm not so sure that you can change my mind, but if you still want to have it, go ahead. But you're right. It's the moment you have an idea, if you say, hmm, I'm thinking about this, that's when you're most impressionable, most vulnerable, and it's easy for people to influence you. So two things for me from this except, um I think the first one that really impacted me because I have been doing it wrong. Um, my thought was that if you have an idea to pitch, you need to spend time to solidify your idea. You understand? Be sure, ensure that there are no gaps, no loopholes. But listening to Paul, I mean, I, I realized that in such a position, it makes it difficult for me to take input from other people because... I am so solidified in my thought process and, and you know, uh, and what I want to say. So I'm realizing for me, the major learning for me is that rather than wait until the end, it's, it becomes a progressive thing for me where I'm always seeking input. I'm always seeking input from other people. And therefore, I'm more open to receiving input from other people that can actually help me rather than waiting till the end before... I pitch my idea. I think that for me um, uh, resonated. Secondly, was the point on ensuring that the expression of my disagreement must be such that enhances the experience of the person pitching the idea. And I think this is such a difficult skill. <laughs> the environment in most companies is hostile towards new ideas. Yeah. The meeting environment in most companies is hostile and warlike. And I'm saying this because, I mean, I, I, I remember my, there was a meeting in my, uh, I mean, we used to have in my previous employer. It was like, you're going into a war. <laughs> I'm serious. When you came out of the meeting and you survived the meeting, you were like, <laughs> wow, I won the battle. <laughs> Under such a situation, you can't come up with any idea. Yeah. Even if you have ideas, you will keep them to yourself because, I mean, it was just so hostile. Yeah. Very hostile. And, and the truth is that that environment I just described was what pertained for most companies. It was like that. It's just notorious, you know. So, but I think that uh, there is hope. There is hope. I really there is hope. Uh, there is hope for people out there that you can actually have an environment where you can pitch your ideas, and the response you get from people listening will not be hostile, but at least will. 
take that idea to the next stage that the idea deserves. What do you think, Zika? Yes, I, I, I was about to say, I hope, you know, team leads, employers are listening to this because, like I said earlier, not only in the workspace, even because creativity and innovation can be applied anywhere. Yeah. It's the same thing in the home, you know, in relationship. Once that environment is not created, there can't be, you just be blank. There can't yeah. be anything that will come out. And I think that leads to the next um, conversation that was had with Paul, that um, he talked about how team leads can actually facilitate their teams to develop creative ideas. And that's what we'd like to listen to. Yeah, before, before we listen to that except, I want to say something. You know, one of the drivers for the podcast we never released, um, the business case for, for creativity... creativity. Was this? I mean, as you were speaking, it, it occurred to me why we, why why we wanted to do that podcast. You know, in most companies, the 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 challenge leaders usually think they have is that the reason they are not the the company lacks creativity is because the employees are not creative. Mm. That's the mm. thought behind a lot of yes. leaders' mind. Yeah. But what we discovered was that the environment, environment in yes. most companies is hostile for, yes, to creativity. creativity. So rather than trying to make the employees more creative, creative create, an create an environment that allows employees to thrive. Yeah. And I think that's what you know Paul Paul, Paul was referring to mm. here in this except. So now let's listen to yeah. Paul. Yeah, I think if you it's been a long time at least since I searched it, but there's something called peer-to-peer coaching or peer-to-peer mentoring. Um, and when I work with first-line supervisors or teachers, I encourage them to get together in groups of three or four or five and have one person bring a situation that they would like insight to. So they present the situation to the their colleagues, and then they step outside of the conversation. They're still in the room, but they're no longer managing. And the colleagues talk about the idea in front of them. And then at the end, the person who had the situation says, here's what I'm taking away from your conversation. Because the alternative is, well, I've got this problem. I'm wondering what you think. And now everything that's presented that person has to respond to well i've already tried that or i don't think it would work in my classroom dot 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 so you want the group to be thinking in front of you but you are free to just watch and listen but it's still your conversation and you get to decide at the end so there might be things you've already tried there might be things that you don't think will work if you express that, it will shut down the conversation. But you, if you don't have to do anything but just take it in and listen to it, then at the end you can say, and here's what I'm taking away from our conversation. Thank you. Um, it's called thinking out loud. It's the same way I would like most leaders not to run their own meetings because of the same thing. I would like to group to be thinking in front of them and the leader because they have so much power. And then the other thing, if you're sitting outside, or not sitting outside, but if you're outside the conversation, you will notice 
when the energy of the conversation goes up, that the group is coalescing around an idea. You will feel it. You will sense it. Uh, so it's something to listen for in all groups. When does the conversation take over on its own? Well, the conversation never takes over itself if somebody's overly directing the conversation. Just listening to Paul is, uh, I mean, this except is so powerful. Yeah. I, I would, uh, two things, I mean, then I would, uh, Zika, you could also share your thoughts. Um, one of the reasons people don't speak up when they have ideas is the fear that will be criticized. That's yeah. one. And secondly, when they do speak speak up, uh, they are very defensive. And I think um, the technique Paul just talked about really takes away that need to be defensive. Because when I'm pitching an idea, and I don't have to give, I don't have to respond to everybody's comment. You know, it really makes me to listen, listen more, yeah, more yeah. and take out what people might be adding to my idea. I think I found that very... And it also makes yeah. the person speaking be more confident yes. and be able to speak more. Yeah, yeah, that's true. And secondly was the issue of the, the energy of the idea. And this is what I realized. I think this is how I saw it. The energy of the idea is when the real insight behind that possibility really comes out. So it's, it's, it's no longer the fact that somebody's driving the idea, but everybody can actually see something valuable with regards to that idea. And that is what everybody is talking about. So people will not talk about the idea because I brought up the idea, but they've actually seen insight into what that, that idea can offer. And they are willing to take that insight further. I think he gave some additional facilitation techniques that foster creative ideas. So we want to listen to that now. Well, first of all, I don't um, adhere to the idea of putting people in small groups and having them work in small groups. Um, so let's do groups of four and you all got 30 minutes to go out and come back with an idea. I don't like that because they tend to think it's a team report. And so somebody's presenting what the team does. So you have nobody being responsible for an idea. Um, I do like putting people in groups of like two or three right next to each other and giving them eight or 10 minutes to start sharing their thinking. It's kind of like a warm up. But then I want to come back to the large group and have people either share what they were thinking, not what the group was thinking, but what was occurring to them. Um, but the short answer is you have to call on people. You must call on people. And here's why that's important. Most people walk into a meeting or in a conversation with some thinking way, 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 way in the back that they don't know that, that they have. And that thinking is, I don't have to say anything if I don't feel like it. That's the default. I don't have to say anything in this meeting if I don't feel like it. Then the second thing is, we tell people who lead meetings, 
Don't call on people. It might be embarrassing. Like people can't handle being called on. Um, well, if you look at those two factors, you get low level of participation. So you have to set up a protocol that, with your permission, I'd like to call on people. Now, I'm not going to call on people if I think you're distracted or you're doing other work or you're not attentive. I'm never going to call on you to control you. Never. But there are, if I look at each topic, there are certain people that are impacted by this topic. And I would like to hear from you before we leave. I think this has been a very, very packed full episode. And um, there's so much to learn. So, so much to learn. I mean, I think for me, just um, listening to Paul, I realized how I have been doing things wrongly and expected results from, you know, from those things that I've been doing wrongly. I also realized how just by making little adjustments, you really can make a huge impact. So I'll just reference the, he talked about having a way of capturing your insights. Insights disappear very fast. You know, I think that that uh, stood out for me. And also, I think um, the part on, you know, where for me, I've always assumed that every time I have to pitch my idea, I must ensure that all the I's and the T's, you know, I mean, every, there's no, I'm ready, you understand, I'm ready. But by doing that, I didn't realize that I was also, it was also making me less open to impute from other people. I mean, I never thought about it. I felt I was, what, what I was doing was right. I, I, I know there's a, there's, a, there's a point where you have to prepare well, but if I want impute from other people, and I, I must design the environment to allow people to, to give inputs. I think for me, those two things were uh, just, you know, pro- thought-provoking, you know, uh, making me to think differently and will do things differently. So stay tuned for the second part. In the second part, like I mentioned in the beginning, we'll be talking about being remarkable. And um, that's something you don't want to miss. So as always, this podcast is edited and produced by Joshua Praise. And the soundtrack is an original from Jasta Christos. While the poster is being designed by Joseph Okafor and Faithful Larry. Until the next part of this episode, have a very creative week. Mm-hmm.